Hello, Joel here. I've got a new book out. It's called Be Funny or Die. How comedy works and why it matters. And it's about how comedy works and why it matters. Why human beings tell jokes and then what that tells us about being human beings. So if you're a human being and you enjoy laughing and then want to know what the hell's going on with that, it's probably a pretty good book to read. It's called Be Funny or Die. It's in shops. You can buy it. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Cheese and pickle. Hello, this is Comfort Blanket. I'm Joel Morris. I'm going to be talking to someone who makes cool stuff that I like about some warm stuff that they like. Uh, a book or a TV show or a film or a record that they return to again and again because they know it will never let them down. Something warm and safe. No guilty pleasures, just really good stuff. Um, and we'll have a little look at it and try and work out where the magic gets in and how it works. This time I'm talking to the illustrator and writer Nadia Sharin. Nadia writes children's books such as The Bumble Bear and Barbara Throws a Wobbler and the Grimwood series and she was shortlisted for the Roald Dahl Funny Prize and she has chosen as her comfort blanket the album Behaviour by the Pet Shop Boys. So you've chosen the 1990 album by the Pet Shop Boys, mm-hmm. Behaviour. I have. And why have you chosen that? This is me, like a high court judge, demanding <laughs> you explain yourself. Well, because, okay, so I think technically I would choose the Pet Shop Boys as my comfort blanket. The place you go yeah. is to the land of the Pet it's Shop the Boys. It's the land of the Pet But if we didn't get specific and kind of narrow it down, which I think is sensible, <laughs> otherwise this, this episode would go on for a year. Um, it seems sensible to, you know, narrow that down to an album. Now, which album? It's not even that Behaviour's my favourite because I find it hard to have a favourite because different albums suit different Is it the best times. of the Pet Shop Boys? Is that the best? <laughs> yeah, that's the discography. best one. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, or pop art. Of course, the later one. Uh, the later one. But there's something special about behaviour that, that it's very soulful. So I think just when I was thinking about, you know, mm. what's comforting and what what is very intimate, I think yeah. it's a very intimate, soulful album. You know, some days I'll say actually is my favourite album or please or introspective. Part of what's strange about behaviour or interesting about behaviour is where it comes in the Pet Shop Boys Discography because it's number four. Well, it's kind smashes. of five. Oh, because you've had because uh, you've had disco, disco so as well, please and disco. Yes. If you're going to count disco, which I do on Wikipedia, they say four. Didn't but you're they? right. Do they not count there. disco? Disco, I think, is just remixes and and, and twelve inches. Please, disco. Actually, introspective. 
and then you've got behaviour. I like the fact that disco is canon for you because in my family growing up, my brother was the big Pet Shop Boys fan, my younger brother, mm-hmm. and he was very much so that disco was canon and we had the first four records on a lot, mm-hmm. home, but we didn't have behaviour. Mm-hmm. We stopped at Introspective was, was where mm-hmm. I think I went off to college, so I didn't follow it. So when you said to listen to behaviour, mm-hmm. I knew the first four records really, really well and this was, I knew the singles of it, this was new to me, oh. which is really exciting because this is the bit of Pet Shop Boys I didn't know apart from ambiently in the culture. Really? So I was delighted to discover how good this record is. Oh, I'm so And it pleased. is brilliant. I just lazily assume everyone knows it. The Pet Shop Boys' new album is Behaviour. No, I didn't. I, I, will, I will plead ignorance. I know the first the first bunch of records really, really well because they were growing up records for me and my family. But uh, this is the uh, the nineteen ninety record. Probably the best album you'll hear all year. Pet Shop Boys behavior. So this is so the Pet Shop Boys Imperial phase. Yes, is what everyone knows. Yeah. And then I would say that ends. Some people say, "Oh, that ends with behavior." I think it ends before behavior. I actually think it ends mid introspective. Though Introspective is like, I think, their biggest selling album. But Domino Dancing, they released that as a single and it got to number 10 or number 9. And I think that's when, obviously, Neil Tennant himself knows pop music inside out. As a former Smash Hits editor. Exactly. Number 9 is not enough. And he knows, so he knew. He was like... (laughs) Oh, we've gone in. We've gone in at number it's nine. Over. So that's finished. So behaviour they made, knowing that their imperial phase was coming to an end. He says something beautiful on Desert Island Discs about this that he suspected the record label signed them, thinking they're a one-hit wonder with West End Girls. I think our yeah, record company maybe thought we'd be a one-hit wonder, and obviously a difficult record to follow up because it's very unusual. But of course, what Chris and I knew was that we had a past sleeve, all these other songs like It's a Sin and whatever. And once you've had a big hit, and then another big hit, and then you have another big hit, which is the next record was It's a Sin, you're sort of you feel a bit slightly more secure. You can never feel secure in pop music. Yeah, they knew. That by the time they got like a second and third top 10 hit, they knew they had a career. Yeah. But then I suppose knowing his his pop charts, he knows the moment it starts to fade. Well, that must have been terrifying for him because there would have been, no, not terrifying. Yeah, he would have absolutely known. <laughs> it, it's <laughs> like the shape of a career. he's seen the sausage, you know, he's been inside the sausage factory. He knows how these things work. I'm in stereo on Radio 1, which is quite why it's a reach in your radio to enjoy the Pet Shop Boys at number nine, Domino Dancing. <laughs> But that's interesting about behaviour because you kind of think, mm, were they liberated by that or were they maybe a bit unnerved by that? I don't know. And it's even though introspective is called introspective, it's not an introspective no, record. It's, a big, it's all 12 inch dance bangers. Yeah. Behaviour is their introspective. It is. You're right. It's album. got the wrong title. This is the yeah. one. It's all, it's very ballad heavy, very much more organic. There's lots that's exactly the same. But it feels more songwriterly. It's a bit more theatrical, a bit more Broadway in places almost. I think they I think they were slightly even if they didn't admit it to themselves at the time, I think they were maybe a bit shaken. Like, okay, we're not gonna reach those heights anymore necessarily. What do we do now? And I was reading around about it because I knew I was gonna talk to you. So it's been interesting revisiting old interviews and also right. also behaviors one of those albums that's been very you know at the time people weren't saying this is the best album ever it's what been I, I think the, the the way the, the phrasing you'd use there critically is it got a bit of a kicking 
That's yes, that's what I mean. <laughs> um, I was looking up and going, I was stunned because it's got a load of really great classic songs that now you associate with the Pet Shop Boys on it. But when you read the reviews, there's a lot of very weak reviews from people you think you'd be on side. They're it's quite grudging sniffy. two and three star reviews. People saying it's wimpy, it's ineffectual. <laughs> it's, wimpy. it's like quite savage. <laughs> I went, hang on, that's not that. But I think the critics were expecting at the time for it to have yet more sort of dance floor pounders. Well, yeah, and I guess if you look at the the other rest, the, what the rest of the pop charts were doing at the time, yeah, behaviour is very out of step. Yes. With what's happening in 1990. It's not particularly housey or, you know, it's not, it's just, they kind of did that with introspective. Yeah. And I do understand that you would expect more if you were, uh, you know, you'd be like, well, come on then, where are the hits? Well, EMI commissioned research about the Pet Shop Boys. One group said, oh yeah, all the Pet Shop Boys, all their, all their songs sound the same, don't they? And then they were asked, why, did you buy their last album, Behaviour? And they said, no. And they said, why not? And they said, well, it sounded really different, didn't it? I, I will try and be brief talking about my own love affair with the Pet Shop Boys and when it started, but I was very young. They were the first band that I felt were mine I've got a brother who's five years older than me, so everything was kind of filtered through him pop culture-wise, yeah. which is a good thing because he has good taste. It meant that I had the Beatles in headphones. He's your gatekeeper, like, so it's not loads of shit. Yeah, basically. So when I was like two or three, from you know, the, the youngest I can remember, I'd be listening to the Beatles and ABBA and Bowie. It was all good stuff. But the Pet Shop Boys, I clearly remember it was kind of winter 1987. We'd gone to Pakistan and we were driving back from Heathrow back to Telford where, where we lived and we'd both I'd had a Walkman for the first time and we both had like three tapes each I think mine was now seven and aha and someone else he had the police every breath you take and actually Pet Shop Boys actually oh, and he hadn't let me listen to it for the whole trip but I remember on that drive back from Heathrow to Telford he let me listen to it And I can remember it. I remember putting that tape in and listening to the whole album for the first time and going, oh, this is it. Had you never heard anything else like it? I'd heard them before here and there. I'd heard a few tracks, but being immersed in the whole album. No, I'd never heard anything that felt so immediate and direct to me. And I was a very to use that word for the 50th time, introspective child. I still am. I'm very, you know, I live in my imagination most of the time. I live there more than I do in the real world. And actually had a really strong narrative and was very, I don't know, it just hit all the right notes for me. So I fell head over heels in love, which chimed in nicely. I was the right age to start buying smash hits. I've gone on at length about this on another (laughs) podcast with you. Um, but it was just beautiful. It just kind of all melded together at the right time for me. So, you know, and I was I was a fan at the right time, you know, for their imperial phase. And they were my first ever gig at Birmingham NEC wow. when I was nine years old. But don't worry, because my 13-year-old brother was with me. Being looked after, it's yeah, fine. Yeah. That's what you call chaperoning. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> fine. And I remember the support was the Balanescu String Quartet. Whoa! And I remember thinking, ooh, but that's what was great. They were always making me really reach. I was always yeah. like having to really work. I was like, oh, the videos are by a mantle 
Derek Jarman. <laughs> I want to share this emptiness with you. Interesting. But it was a fantastic love affair. I brought you drinks, I brought you flowers, I read your books and talked for hours. Every day so many drinks, such pretty flowers that tell me what have I, what have I, what have I With behaviour, I remember them going on Woden to, like, premiere their new single. Ah, we're back again. <laughs> the joys of live television. And I can remember watching it and my mum was, like, doing the ironing. Yeah. If you wouldn't mind doing that again, I think I'd probably better in the dark. <laughs> anyway, music's next. And she'd always been, like, she's not that into pop music at all. Not many Asian parents of that generation <laughs> were. Have we got the boys lit? Yes, they're all right. But she knew that I loved the Pet Shop Boys and she could not deny that there were some bangers. From a band with four number ones to their credit since they first made it with West End Girls five years ago. And I always remember watching so hard and feeling like responsible, feeling like they were my friends going on Woden, yeah. doing a song. With their first single in over a year, So Hard, Pet Shop Boys. And I felt a little bit disappointed. Your friends would let you down in front of your mum. Friends would let me down in front of my mum, and, I, and my mum, my mum sort of said, oh, "It's not quite as good, is it?" <laughs> I was like, "Don't say it out loud because that makes it real." Now, I would like to say, fast forward, <laughs> I would like to say that I love so hard, but for some reason, it sort of shouts at you a little bit the first few times you hear it, and yeah. now I can hear all of its brilliance, but I didn't at first. If I'm completely honest, maybe that's what you're looking for. You're looking for something which maybe hasn't got the immediate rush that a nine-year-old needs, mm. but will grow with you that is a more mature sound and that's a more perfect because this album has grown with me and when you when you know when i thought about it and kind of what this comfort blanket means it means revisiting something when yeah. you need it and this album has changed with me beautifully and i mean it's 30 Two years old now. I can't believe that. Because this, to me, is, is the, <laughs> no, one of the recent ones. One of the recent pressure ones. One of the new pressure ones. One of so hard and being boring. Yeah, one, one of the, the new ones. ones. Yeah. yeah. I hate that one. Isn't that, that insane? Yeah. It's, I was putting it in context. And I, I was putting the Pet Shop Boys in context. I went to go and see them on the recent tour, the, the Great mm. Hits tour, which I thought was absolutely magnificent. Really, really good. And I suddenly realised how long I know. Their, their career span is. Even it's if phenomenal. you just went their imperial phase, it's so long. You forget that the Pet Shop Boys are formed in 1981. Oh they gosh. are contemporary with Soft Cell. They're a yeah. synth duo. Mm -hmm. But they definitely go back. Uh, oh. They're sort of Depeche Mode and Soft Cell yeah. era band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when you hit this bit, which is like 1990, they're working with uh, Electronic at the time. They're working with these indie musicians. Mm. So they cross over into another genre just at the moment that indie and rock are getting into dance music. Mm -hmm. And this is a, an album bang in the middle of that. A slightly derided era now, but mm. was pretty cool that sort of loads of kids are into guitar music. They made the NME take them seriously and things like that. They mm. were suddenly dealing with this. And then they carry on beyond that all the way up to the present day. They're constantly part of pop history. But the amazing thing is they are completely separate from it. Oh, yeah. So you can't, own tell, universe. you can't tell anybody comes when any album no. is from. No. So when I listened to this, I went, I can hear a little bit of 1990. Yeah. You can hear, actually, weirdly, the way it, it, the intro before Being Boring starts mm. couldn't be more 1990. What's it, the kind of James Brownie kind of. Yeah, there's a little sort of funky drummer thing, there's a yeah. little bit of, uh, of like sort of slightly wah wah wee sort of guitar. It yeah. sounds a bit like the beloved. 
it's got that sort of like sort of <laughs> chill out indie sound to it. And you went, yeah. And I went, oh, I remember when everything sounded like this. And then it takes a left turn and goes back to Pet Shop Boys World. Oh, there are tiny hints of what was going on, but this is recorded in Munich with Harold Faltermeyer. Yeah. Who basically, as far as I'm concerned, is completely 1984. So right. in 1990, you're doing a thing with a guy who did the Beverly Hills Cop soundtrack yeah, and yeah, Fletch yeah, and things. Yeah. It was completely mid 80s. And they've done that, they said, to get a more organic sound. But Which then, is the most Pet Shop Boys thing ever. Rather than getting a real string quartet, <laughs> go, go to the most synthy man in the world. We want it to be more organic. But I guess for them it was, though, wasn't it? Because wasn't it all, weren't, it was all analogue? Yeah, it was I using, think. for them, it was basically the equivalent of going unplugged. It was like getting out of acoustic guitars. But also, but even using acoustic guitars is quite a thing because, you know, I remember, so obviously Chris Lowe was like some kind of minor deity for me <laughs> yeah. in terms of cool. And also, but I was also, but also they've always been very self-aware and I love them whilst also being aware of their idiosyncrasies. So yeah. Chris being this kind of, it's just quite odd, like, you know, that I'd hero worshipped and still do this, like, quite stroppy uh, guy <laughs> from Blackpool who just yeah, outwardly doesn't seem to compromise much for other people and just does what he wants. And then if he has a huff, just, like, walks off stage in the middle of interviews and stuff. And why is that? Is that just because the, the stakes don't seem as high or you just you, you put things in perspective more? What do you think? No, the stakes are higher. We're having to work a lot harder at the moment. You know, that's why we're doing this. <laughs> but he was very famous for going on about how much he hated guitars and hated rock music right. that was his big thing in interviews like he said once oh i think guitars look vulgar i think they look rude <laughs> i didn't quite understand what he meant so that was weird i think it was like oh but now you're using guitars that's strange and i think that was part of it going back to kind of it, how old would i have been 11 year old nadia there is a sense of like almost a truce that's been called between sort of different genres of music which on the indie side would always have been, we've got a dance element to our music. Mm. But for the Pet Shop Boys to say, we'll use old synthesizers. We've got a bit of guitar in here. We've got Johnny Mars on here. We've got mm. JJ Bell playing on it. It's been really sweet that Neil Tennant's been talking recently in interviews about saying that he came from the folk scene. He's a Newcastle mm-hmm. folkie. Can you hear he was in an yeah. incredible string band. He was, band, band. Called, he was in a band called Dust. Yes. And you go, oh, well, actually, the thing that's interesting about the Pet Shop Boys, they're very chordal mm-hmm. songwriters they are mm-hmm. a lot of these songs could be played Leonard Cohen style yeah, like yeah, in a yeah. coffee shop um, for some reason I like to have lots of what Chris thinks are complicated chords and there's a, there was a lovely bit on the, the last tour where Neil comes out with a cowboy hat and a big Gretsch guitar and does a version of You Only Tell Me You Love Me When You're Drunk as if it was written as a piece of classic 60s yeah. balladeer singer-songwriting. Mm. And Chris is obviously off in one corner sort of <laughs> disapproving. But it's lovely to see. Because music's music. Mm. But I love the way this feels like it's in the middle of that battle a truce has been called. Mm. It lets loads of other stuff in. One of the big things we've always had against rock music is it's people writing for the future. So people writing their diaries for future publication. People are sort of making this record and thinking, it's a classic album, in years to come it will be played. Well, of course, in years to come it it won't be played um, in the main. Whereas the rubbishy pop record will ultimately will probably still be played in 20 years' time because it's the record that um, will remind you about what was happening at the time. Maybe maybe they were liberated by kind of knowing that Imperial... Maybe the pressure was off. Maybe yeah. they just thought, well, OK, that's done. I guess we do something different now. Yeah. 
But, I mean, we have talked and we have not even touched on the fact that one of the Pet Shop Boys' greatest songs is on this album, which is Being Boring. And I don't know how you start to talk about that song without A, bursting into tears, yeah. or B, I mean, what it's it's hard, I, you know, I'll just roll out a load of cliches about it. But that's certainly a song that, like in my life, uh, by a band called The Beatles. Some are dead and some are living. It's one of those songs that grows with you and changes yeah. every time you hear it. I came across a cache of your photos and invitations to teenage parties. When I first heard that song, I would have been 11. Yeah. And now I'm 43. I've always loved the song, but I relate to it in such a different way now. And the loss that he's singing about yeah. hits in such a different way, because obviously we have experienced so much loss now, you know, as an older person. When it first came out, it seemed to be a song about the Pet Shop Boys, like a joke about we were being right. boring. I remember that being the well, almost... Well, I think a, that was part of it. That's, the, that's your gag. I mean, the, Yeah, it's a the, great gag. Which I think came from a gig review, which said that you were just being boring on stage. It, it's, it's part of their sort of wittiness and their yeah. sort of self-awareness. And, and then when you listen to the song and the subject matter and the lyrics are so obviously about devastating loss, the people who are missing. Yeah. I'm sure people who like the album probably realise, but just briefly, it's specifically about Neil's friend Christopher Dowell, who was in that band Dust that I mentioned earlier. I didn't know he was from the band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was, well, he was his old mate from from Newcastle. Yeah. So, you know, that the acts that the song takes you through are him, Neil and Christopher, uh, not Chris, but Christopher Dowell, in Newcastle plotting their future that, you know, we're going to be pop stars and we're going to move to London. And they did, they moved to London and the various adventures that they had. But while Neil was being a very successful, huge pop star in the middle of their Imperial phase, uh, Christopher was diagnosed with HIV and, and AIDS and he was ill. And so Neil was on one hand being this pop star and on the other hand, go into the hospital to watch his friend die. And and it was a very, I think this is a song about holding, it's a, about many things, but I think part of it literally for Neil was about how he coped holding these two worlds at the same time, yeah. which must have been such a head fuck. They're both unreal in two yeah. unreal spaces at once. Right. That must have been the weirdest thing for him. Like it's, it's so sad anyway to see your friend's, die so young and you know i'm sure around them other contemporaries would have been suffering that must have been just such a mad thing for him to deal with it's interesting you mention in my life because it reads like the best autobiographical songwriting of that sort which is incredibly specific Mm. all the details in it are incredibly specific to the songwriter's life Mm -hmm. but you don't need to know that because the specificity makes it universal david bowie and changes how would neil tennant have looked then in those early mid 70s 
What would you have been wearing? Um, well, when that record came out, I was at school, but uh, that year I left school and moved down to London. When I went, I left from the station have a sack and some trepidation. And I remember um, I got a summer job. So I went for an interview at the British Museum and I was dressed head to foot in white. I had white Oxford by trousers, which we wore in 1973. And a white shirt and a white tank top. Dress in white, one set with quotations. And on my feet, I was wearing these sort of multicolour shoes, yellow and blue shoes with wedge heels, which were actually women's shoes. They were very thick soles. Yeah. Probably the more specific Absolutely. it is about the tiny, tiny vignettes mm-hmm. of Neil's life, the more you can apply it to your life and to other life. It does feel like a tribute to everybody who yeah. lost to AIDS. It doesn't feel like a tribute to one person. It's not a song. It's not song for guy. It's not dedicated no. to one person. It's incredibly personal, but it does feel like a, a sort of an anthem. There were loads of work. <laughs> You know, when I was a kid listening to it, I was like, a cash? What's a cash? And like, (laughs) they're just such interesting sentences, interesting lyrics in that song. But he's also the way that he delivers it in this kind of whisper. Yeah. That's weird. That was different. It's the first song on the album. It's the Declaration of Intent. It's the one that says, this is what this album's going to be like. This is our introspective album at last. This is the one we're going to do. It feels like the circus has stopped, so there's time to take stock. Mm. And they're looking back at their past. And it opens with, I mean, actually, even the a standard pop song would say, I am here now. Yeah. You are standing there. I love you. Mm. She loves you. All present tense. Mm. This is the chorus, the hook line for this is, we were. Yeah. Never being boring. <laughs> it's know. looking God. back. And it's, it's heartbreaking. It, it, yeah. It, it's, it's, you've stopped and you're looking out the back maybe of a departing bus as, as you're moving on to the next phase or mm. whatever. And it's incredibly sad. We It's interesting because it's a sad song and a song about life and looking back at life. And you think that for a song to have such sadness in it, there'd be some sense of going, oh, we've lost something and I regret mm. it. Mm. But there is a, <laughs> there is no regrets. It's not a regretty song. No, it's not. It's really celebratory. Yeah. And he's looking back with such love and fondness at the hunger of being young. And, well, <laughs> when you're young, you find in such inspiration in anyone who's ever gone and opened up a closing door. That yeah. might be my favourite one of my favourite Pet Shop Boys lyrics. I find it so moving. When you're young, you find inspiration in anyone who's ever gone and opened up a closing door. She said we were never feeling bored. I found that inspirational. I found that line inspirational when I was 11 or 12 because... I was too young (laughs) to really begin to figure out who I was. But that line made me realise that was going to happen. Does that make sense? Yeah. When you're young, you find inspiration. So I was like, I am going to be inspired by someone and they're going to open doors for me and I'm going to leap through them. And it was so, there's so much potential there. That's what I mean about my perspective shifting with this song. So when I was younger, it was like, Nadia, this is what life might turn out to be like. This is what lies ahead of you. You're going to find inspiration and you're going to find your 
path. That was so exciting. So I couldn't really feel too sad about the song because it was all there ahead of me. Now, of course, I listen back to it and I'm like, yeah, that's what happened. That's how I found myself. That's how I, that's the self-actualization that happened. You're finding a story in there that's a story of one particular person or two particular people, and you're finding your own story in there. Mm. And the possibilities there, just to go to while you were saying that, the person who gives you the inspiration is Neil Tennant and Chris Lowe. Well, I mean, yeah. They open the door. That massively and all is the, part of it. In, it, it, has, it. It's one of those meme things that within it is the idea that seeds more ideas. I was thinking about that. We're listening to this on the, the way down to see you. I was listening to it thinking, there's something brilliant about the Pet Shop Boys in the way that Neil Tennant and Chris Lowe are pop stars. Mm. And Neil Tennant worked for a pop magazine and said, I'm going to be a pop star. <laughs> yeah. When he was 17 and we were a pop star, worked for a pop magazine, mm-hmm. at age 30, leaves and goes, I'm going to be a pop star. Mm-hmm. So everyone goes, what, you? Editor of Marvel Comics <laughs> and Smash It, it's going to be a pop star. And he goes, yes. What kind of pop star are you going to be? This one. <laughs> yeah. What, you're just going to stand there? And with your mate, he's going to stand behind you. Yes, we're pop stars. And just the sense of going, fuck you. Yeah. As in, of course, if he went out there and was the kind of pop star you thought he was going to be, mm-hmm. that would be ludicrous if he mm. pretended he was Simon Le Bon or something. Mm-hmm. The fact that they did it and went, we're going to make up our own rules for this. And what we'll do is we'll be ourselves. Yes. That is, you want to talk about an inspiration uh, to any creative youngster to pick a band who mm-hmm. went, we're going to go and go to number one. How? Uh, in a way that's never been done before. That's amazing. Well, and completely true to themselves. And I think I am not about to compare myself to the Pet Shop Boys. Okay, let's make that clear. However, I let was... That, let that be for everyone else to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, please. You go. You guys go ahead, but I wouldn't do that. So funnily enough, we speak on a day where I've done a, a school's kind of festival visit. I'm a children's book author, illustrator. So... I am not someone who is comfortable on stage. I'm not comfortable performing. It's something I have had to do and I have to do as part of my job. Never expected to. And I was chatting to someone about it today saying, oh, I get very nervous. I don't really enjoy it in a way. But the key for me is I go on and I am absolutely myself. I don't go on and do jazz hands. And that works for me. And that is something that I've directly lifted yeah. from the best, from the greats, <laughs> because there's no point. I'd go on and I'd do a Chris Lowe. I'd just go on and go, hi, everyone. Yeah, it's me, honestly. In my clothes. In my clothes. Here I am. This is what I do. That is something I've directly lifted from them. One thing that happened is that suddenly we became performers. I had very little performing experience of music. And so it was a funny feeling of insecurity um, and self-consciousness. The Pet Shop Boys are my comfort blanket because they have been there for me as I have changed. And I remember seeing them. Every time I see them, I quietly say to myself, hiya, to them when they come on stage. I'm like, hi, hi, lads. (laughs) Are they your friends? Yeah, they're massively my friends. And obviously I can never be friends with them in real life and never... I did sort of meet them once, but I didn't say anything because I thought there's no point, is there? It's impossible, isn't it? You can't do- I just thought, let's not embarrass me. You myself. know, people have that fantasy thing and they always go, oh, here's my fancy dinner party. It'll be all these people who yeah. went, no, your fancy dinner, dinner party should be your actual friends. Because if you invite all the people <laughs> yes. who really might, it would be massively awkward. Be Lots so of them would be awful. quite egotistical and not and talk over each yeah. other. Fucking awful. And you wouldn't get a word in. Oh my God, you're terrible. so right. It would be the worst thing to ever happen. Yeah. It, when, when you get your dream dinner party yeah. with, with all the famous people you really admire, it's, it's absolutely dead because socially, that's 
that's not how it works. I, I, I was backstage at, uh, after a gig that they did at um, the, I think it was at the Opera House. Um, and they were there, you know, Chris was right there. Neil was there talking to people that I know. And I sort of got a sheep. There was a, a sheepish photo where I'm at the end, but I refused to kind of, I think someone even said, this is Nadia. And I just sort of went <laughs> and looked at the floor because I thought, let's not even go here. I'm not even going to bother. But you've already had the friendship you need with them in your headphones. Well, nothing is going to come close to the friendship that I have with them in my head. Exactly. Yeah. And I don't have many recurring dreams. But one of the few <laughs> recurring dreams I have is Nadia is friends with the Pet Shop Boys. Right. And what happens is we're just having a coffee or maybe we're trying to find a good restaurant in Berlin or... Side note, have never been to Berlin. But, you know, I just have these funny little dreams where they're just like, okay, yeah. Oh, that's a nice new antique table you've got, Neil. But that's a friendship that you do have. (laughs) That's the really funny thing. It's a one-way friendship and maybe that's a thing. I've never thought about this. I think that's the safest thing. But but do people, do you, do I, do we all have a relationship with people who work we admire? Especially if we like them as teenagers. Oh, I think so. Where the thing that's awkward is if you meet them Mm. for the first time, it was like a one-way phone call. As in, yeah. they don't know all the adventures you've had. Yeah. So it's really weird. You go and meet them and you go, oh, no, because you're not Neil, because you weren't in the headphones in yes. the car. Yeah, exactly. That, my Neil was in the headphones in the yeah. car coming back from, yeah. from that journey. So you've weirdly immediately not got anything in common. Completely. <laughs> Look, I've known Neil and Chris really well yeah. for most of my life. I, I'm jealous of your relationship. I've known them for most of my life. They have not got a clue who I am. So we can never <laughs> interact or meet in real life because it would be devastating for me. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. For the Pet Shop Boys, they've got a very interesting image in that it's supposed to be both incredibly accessible because they're dressed as themselves and they've always said in an interview, the reason we're like this is this is what we're like. Mm. I love the way that Neil said, why, why, why is Chris always behind you? And, well, I walk faster than him. <laughs> And it's just that, going, that's brilliant. That's the perfect answer. Why in the videos is he behind you? I walk faster than him. I'm slightly taller. That's so true. And it's just going, well, that's where they are. They've they've ended up in this thing, but all of it looks natural, like that's who they are, but also incredibly artificial because they're in incredible fashions. It's all very well designed. It's beautifully shot. So they simultaneously are exactly themselves, 100% not being made by any record label to not be who they are. But at the same time, they have the artificial theatrical grandeur of Kate Bush or David Bowie. I don't know how they managed it. So they are, I think, they are deliberately authentic. 
Right. So the the realness. They mean so it's real. I don't want to use the. I don't think they're artificial, but it's very deliberate. It's controlled. It's very yes. managed. They know they are being Neil and Chris, and they are being these people, the Pet Shop Boys, and it's completely on their terms. It doesn't mean it's fake. Yeah. But it's completely on their terms. They're very boundaried. Yeah, they know what they're doing. Completely. There's a lovely thing that Brian Eno said once, where someone said, you're, you're very pretentious. I mean, I'm not pretending. I really am this clever. <laughs> and I just thought, that's, <laughs> that's a brilliant fantastic. answer. Pretentious would be if you didn't know what you were doing. And the Pet Shop Boys are very arty and considered and crafted. Yeah. They're always in beautiful clothes. Absolutely. The, the graphics are brilliant. Everything's considered. But it's... That's who they are. I never understood the criticism of the Pet Shop Boys. That, oh, they're very arch. Pretend- I mean, I hate the word pretentious as a criticism anyway, full stop. Ambitious was- is a better word. Yeah, Trying maybe. to do something. Yeah, yeah. It's like, no, they care about everything. They'll, they, they'll care about, like you say, they'll care about the typeface. They'll, this kind of thing will irritate them. If a full stop is in the wrong place, that will annoy them. And that's not being arch or pretentious. That's caring deeply about the work you're producing. And that's a relationship, again, which you're having with them as, as friends, trusted. You're trusted providers of pals. Your pals are very careful with what they give you. They won't give <laughs> they you any are. old shit. No, they don't want to. Do you enjoy performing now? Yes, what we did then. Although it was, in the early days, it was nerve-wracking, you know. I mean, remember, Chris and I's first gig in London was th- three nights at Wembley Arena. Eric Watson, in their video, said that when Chris Lowe stands behind Neil looking like he's in a bad mood, it created what he called a hideous tension. <laughs> I love the phrase hideous tension. Hideous tension's realized, brilliant. That's, that's a B-side. Come on, Pets. That's what I was enjoying in the Factual Boys. Is there's always a hideous tension. They're always slightly ill at ease mm-hmm. in the most brilliantly exciting way, which isn't something you associate with being a pop star. They're disturbing. And I think that's the best quality you can have as a, as a songwriter. There's a feeling of awkwardness about them that I think this album is amazing at all the way through. Right, It's okay. got unease and tension. Even if it's something as silly as uh, there's a rigidity of those analogue sequences mm-hmm. and then this very confessional, very, very human mm-hmm. uh, lyrics delivered by someone whose big influence was Rex Harrison. So sometimes they're <laughs> yeah. singing, sometimes they're not. And you're going, is there emotion? Is there not emotion? Mm-hmm. And I had not thought abstractly about the Pet Shop Boys. What it is, there's always one thing saying one thing mm-hmm. and the other thing saying another, all at once, all kind of cloaking each other, yeah. hiding behind yeah. each other. I love the way he sings. And I love the quality of his voice. It's, it's, it's straight-toned. Um, and his speaking voice is so beautiful, I think that whenever he speaks on the records, it's astonishing. And what he's done is taken all emotion out of the speaking voice, which is interesting. So what they do is they write these really emotional songs about very important things and then present them with absolutely no emotion. Yeah. And it's incredibly interesting to listen to. Yeah, that's a really good description because some, you know, another criticism that was often inaccurately, lazily levelled would be, oh, they're so chilly. It's like, are you serious? <laughs> no. There's so much warmth and emotion going on throughout their career and especially in this record. Uh, are you mad? We don't talk of love We're much too shy But no There's moments towards the end where they're doing jealousy yeah. and they're just about to launch into the biggest, mm-hmm. most epic string part. But before then, you have to have some incredibly dissonant, bad synthesizer chords, <laughs> as if to say, this is the bad bedroom version of what's coming in a minute. And you go, this is really funny. 
they're playing games all the time. They're not chilly at all. They're not chilly at all. They're very emotional. I mean, so yeah. the second, so I mean, I could, as I say, I could talk for about five years about being boring. But the next, I, I also love the second track, which is "This Must Be the Place I've Waited Years to Leave" or "Yars to Leave," as Neil likes to sing it because he does a very posh yars. What a title! I know, brilliant. Yes. And I have to say, so this is pretty obviously about his time at a Catholic school. I was at the time, I had just moved to a Catholic all-girls school. I think I'd been there for about a year and it was far away from where I grew up. So I didn't, it wasn't a boarding school. I had to sit on a bus for an hour and a half every morning, but I didn't know anyone. I was very quiet. I would have this on in my headphones and it was, yeah, it was a pretty accurate kind of way I was feeling so this really spoke to me at the time and now when I listen back to it I hear all of that I hear all of that kind of desolation uh, and drama interestingly fun fact about this song this was their kind of audition for doing a Bond theme really which I think you can hear Is Johnny Marr on this track? I think people will correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think it's JJ Bell on this. I think Johnny Marr is on. This must be the place. I think he is on this one. But you can hear it. You can hear. You know, Johnny Marr did that. Uh, did the stuff with Hans Zimmer. Yeah, yeah. I think you can kind of hear some of that. There's the a track. cinematic drama in a lot of this stuff because yeah. they've taken the pace down a bit and they've gone for this sort of organic. It's very, very ballady as an album, but immediately becomes very cinematic. They wanted to work with Ennio Morricone on Jealousy, I think, and they wanted to have this sort of cinematic thing. And a Bond theme is exactly the right description. It's those dramatic and jarring chords. Yeah, you can really hear it on this track. They on that guitar, that kind of reverby thing. A lovely sentiment, I think, for any suburban kid. Yeah. It doesn't have to be school. I mean, that, that sentiment, this must be the place I waited years to leave, is how you feel yeah. when you're under your Walkman headphones. They are incredibly comforting people to have in your headphones. I loved the fact uh, that we had two moody sad songs to kick yeah. off with. Because I've always been a, you know, I love a sad song. And, um, and, and so I, this was great. This is meaty stuff for me. That there's we've got there's these an intimacy two. to it. They're talking to you and they're not dancing around. They're saying, we're going to do a different... Yeah. album we'll do a different story this time and that's two autobiographical songs as well another line that just always stuck out that was really romantic was a litany of saints and other ordinary men a litany of saints and other ordinary men i was like oh, what does that mean litany new words and other ordinary <laughs> men so saints are ordinary oh it was just very dramatic and i grew up so i went to a catholic <laughs> school and I grew up in a Muslim household. So, you know, godly. I've yeah. always been very attracted to Neil's relationship with God and the church yeah. and Catholicism. That's always been a big theme. So, again, that, always, that spoke to me hugely. When you've been out somewhere instead, I wonder if you care and cannot bear the pro. 
sense of drama in these is not only is it dramatic chords and dramatic settings and the music is dramatic, but almost melodrama in that it's about small things that have happened to someone from the northeast. School mm-hmm. and uh, a friend. But it sounds so People, massive. Yeah, and that's what teenage feels like, mm. is the massive drama of the tiny details. Again, the specifics of this, they're about his life. But set against these massive overdramatic arrangements. But the arrangements aren't done on the instruments that you do a Bond theme on. They're done on Harold Faltermeyer's synthesizers. Yes. So there is a lovely <laughs> sense of the smallness and the bigness of things, the artificiality of things, the syntheticness nature of it, which is how teenagers exist. They're constantly making drama, yeah. massive drama, the, the, the emotion of drama, the enormous dramatic significance of everything in the smallness of your life when you're a teenager. Mm-hmm. There's a way of doing that by becoming really epic and bombastic. Mm-hmm. And you can sum it up by having crashing guitar chords or massive string parts. Mm. That sort of epic small town drama that Manic Street Preachers do, yeah. where it's the biggest noise you've ever heard. Yeah. But there's something lovely about the smallness of synthesizers to mm. express that. Mm. I, mean, I think Neil Tennant said that the big inspiration for this sound wise was Depeche Mode's Violator. they got very very big and dramatic right. and dark and bond themey so he said oh, okay. really like violet and they were trying to sort of head towards that like oh well, big... that makes sense yeah and i think they go really well together and they were yeah violet is one of my favorite all-time albums obviously. lovely crossover records as well yeah. that, that took bands out of a synth ghetto and yeah. into indie kids record collections a lot i'll step quickly forward to only the wind which is track five yeah. I will circle back to another mm. song later. But in Only the Wind, which is a very slow, mournful song, Neil says it's about domestic violence. It's Neil kind of singing from what you presume is is kind of a, a woman's perspective. No angry drama A storm blows itself out And he says that there's some keyboard sounds in that, which are like stabs, like some stabby yeah. synths. Uh, that made me think of Vi- when it's funny you mentioned Violator it kind of puts me in mind of that those synths are meant to kind of replicate door slamming or punches yeah or, or, and violent they're very good at using uh, aggressive synth sounds the, the, mm. the classic Pet Shop Boys orchestral stab that, that's right. not in here as quite as much yeah no it's not and the stab sometimes would irritate me to get used a bit too much it became a bit too much of a Pet Shop Boys parody noise we've always been very influenced by in the early days by electro disco which was being made in New York they used very hard um, synthesizer sounds Actually, they do that on this they, they are looking for new sounds mm. that's another thing I think that makes this stand out is they don't fall into Pet Shop Boys cliche a lot no it looks like they're taking the opportunity to not only uh, not have to go and get a load of top 10 bangers mm-hmm. but also to say okay what have we overused we won't use that now we'll bring in some new sounds we'll try some new stuff they're, they're stretching out and it, it reminds me it keeps reminding me this is their automatic for the people this is mm. their after you've been like yeah, R.E.M. you've been the analogy. biggest rock band in the world you've used the guitars right okay mandolins and quiet yeah. stuff and, and starting to be uh, let's do a whole album about death played on instruments you wouldn't expect God that's a really good analogy yeah they are they've got a lot in common I think those two uh, again automatic is one of my favourite albums of all time listen here my sister and my brother what would you care 
Well, what I think automatic for the people and behaviour definitely have in common is there's so much that reveals itself to you slowly. It really bears repeated listening. There's kind of a a confidence in this of saying, we won't get dropped by a record label by changing. (laughs) And this has got a real feel of going, we've had enough bangers in the bank now that we can probably do something a bit more experimental. Not like it's hard to listen to, but where we can just take the foot off the pedal a bit. to briefly touch on the only bum note for me on this album Go on. um which is how can you expect to be taken seriously which i don't i just there's a few things i don't like about this song so let's not spend too much time on it okay but it just the sound of it is so bombastic and irritating that big guitar part, the big... oh i hate it i hate that guitar noise very Which, dated. That's very. That's very nineteen ninety. So dated. Interestingly, um, they on the single version that they released, mm. it's kind of reimagined, and they've got rid of that noise, and it's got more of a kind of soul to soul. It's got a sparse kind of dance beat behind it, and they've they've taken that kind of horrible guitar off. What irritates me is. It's like, guys, you are better than this. Like, you are cleverer than this. And it's kind of like Neil snarking on other pop stars for being a pop star. It's like, oh, it doesn't quite work for me. It's interesting because I looked it up. I'd forgotten it had been released as a single. Mm. And the reason you forget it's been released as a single, it's a double A side with Where the Streets Have No Name. Right. So I'm interested in your opinion on that because I had uh, not a stand-up row, but I had a heated debate with another Pet Shop Boys fan about Where the Streets Have No Name. He said, oh, I don't like it because it was a double A side with that. Oh, it just felt sneery. And it was such a sneery, we're better than you about you too. I think Where the Streets Have No Name by the Pet Shop Boys is one of the most euphoric. I mean, it moves me to tears now when I hear it. I don't I think, think it's they're joyful. Yeah, it's not done sarcastically. But no. weirdly, if you wanted to do a song that had the same message as the other side of the, the single. If you want to do How Do You Expect to Be Taken Seriously, yeah. what you do is you record Where the Streets Have No Name completely exactly. sincerely and anthemically, and you beat you two at their own game. Exactly. Do you think they'll put you in the rock and roll hall of fame? It's saying the raw material you've made as a rock band, we can seize, make our own, make it camp and mm-hmm. brilliant and euphoric and anthemic and win. So that's you don't need the other side of the single. Yeah, that's all they needed to do. They really didn't need to do how do you expect to pretend to do kind of prick the, the bubble of a kind of mythic presentation of a rock group, which is U2's presentation has been increasingly mythic. And so we wanted to present the song, which actually we, we did like, by the way, as a disco record. That, that, you know, when you present like that, it's just a pop song. Most albums are a record of where they got to when they dropped their least favourite song. When they went, oh, stop, we've got to have 10 songs. That's interesting. I get a feeling that if they'd gone on one week further, they would have dropped this one because the rest of the album has a unified feel. Do you know I what? I think it's the last one left over. They probably dropped a couple of others on Do the way through. Do you know what? They say, Chris says they would have dropped so hard. What? No. Yeah. 
Can we talk about So Hard? Because it's brilliant. Yeah, let's do it. I love So Hard. Now. I love So Hard too. And like we I say, we were wrong when it was on Wogan. I was so wrong when it was on Wogan, and when my mum said this isn't as good. So Hard, Pet Shop Boys. And So Hard is just so. It's got everything. It's kind of angry and funny and petulant, and you can dance to it. It's got Cole Porter grade, Noel Coward grade waspish lyrics, and you <laughs> so can dance waspish. to it. I mean, everyone, we have to mention the cigarettes. The cigarette. That line is fantastic. And then you realise every line of it has got a nested rhyme echoed in the previous couple of lines. Explain. So it's, I'm always hoping you'll be faithful, but you're not, I suppose. We've both given up smoking because it's fatal. So who's matches of those? So it's hoping, smoking, faithful, fatal. Yeah. It's written with the diligence of a West End lyric. It is Lin-Manuel <laughs> yeah. Miranda. It is Rogers and <laughs> yeah, Hart. Yeah, that's true. It is properly that. West End lyric writing. That it has is. been written by someone who knows exactly what they're doing. And the reason it's pleasing to hear mm. is not only is it a really good, funny uh, depiction of the subject matter, everything has been chosen and picked and crafted mm-hmm. to make those words feel inevitable. Mm-hmm. So it just rattles out. It's brilliant. It's interesting because he Neil published his lyrics, um, and I don't know. It did, I mean, I I have a copy, and I enjoyed flicking through it very much. But it works. I mean, this just shows how pivotal they are. To, they have to work together, yeah. Because his lyrics are just elevated by how they are arranged. You know, with the music, it lyrics just, don't work without the music. They're no. not meant to. I, I I never understand why you buy a book of lyrics. I I like the McCartney one because there were stories with it. Yeah, I don't want to just read them. They're not poetry. No, they just make more. They just need the context of of the music to kind of make sense and for the weight of the way that he sings those lines. And it's down to his. You know, he he's modest. Neil's modest about his lack of vocal range but actually i think he's a great vocalist because he embraces what he can't do and, yeah. and, and focuses on what he can do his delivery is the perfect outfit for the songs to wear they need to be dressed this way again Absolutely. it's another thing they've carefully chosen and he doesn't sound like a singer is singer you know it, it... It's almost like talking. The things you can criticise the Pet Shop Boys for very often are things that they have done deliberately. Mm-hmm. And you, you can say you don't like it, but they didn't make a mistake. He's no. the perfect person to sing these songs. Yes. It's really good. When comes around, what to do? Tonally... You know, a word that people use about this album that's kicked around a lot is autumnal. Yes. And that's mainly because of my October symphony. <laughs> yeah, that's cheating to say, <laughs> why did this like, record fit autumn? it mentions October. But I do know what people mean, but it's such a warm song. I love this song. So this, so you, as someone who's not as familiar with behaviour, what did you make of my October symphony? It was a real surprise. I didn't realize they'd written a song about this subject. Yeah. And it's the perfect 1990 subject. Mm-hmm. You've just, this is recorded sort of June, no, I know, 1990, summer Something 1990. Like that. And it comes out, you know, it comes out in, in the autumn of 1990. But we're just dealing with the fallout from the fall of the Berlin Wall. Yeah. 
and to write with empathy about what it must have been like to be told that the world you were growing up with was wrong. Yeah. There was a mistake. Mm-hmm. We got, we chose the wrong side. Yeah. Will they cancel our parade? We marched each October. Now they say we were never even saved. No one was feeling that. Everyone was writing triumphant anthems about mm-hmm. the uniting of the world. And this says, there are people on the other side of the wall <laughs> who looked at this very differently. Yeah. And it's just a brilliant subject for a and song. It's, but it's done, and it's done with such warmth yes. and kind of sympathy. It's a great piece of creative writing, putting yourself in someone else's shoes. And I know he was interested in Russian history and Russian literature and things. It's the kind of writing you only get from someone who reads a lot of fiction and who likes to occupy other characters. It's a beautiful thing. It's, it's the song that's the sad internal voice of that choir on Go West. <laughs> Needless to say, can I just say, when I was 11, I wasn't... Um, didn't like this one? Well, no, I loved it. Oh. I loved it. But what I mean is, is that I didn't... There was so much that went over my head in terms of, you know, what he was writing about. And I think that's a great testimony to to kind of what a fantastic album this is, that I still emotionally connected to it and I still yeah. was intrigued by it and I still felt the warmth of this. This song in particular has always felt very warm. And even though I knew that the that the, the singer, that the protagonist was someone from another era, especially with that line, should I rewrite or revise my October symphony. You know, I yeah. knew it was someone very, very far away from me, but I could still empathise with the uncertainty. There's such uncertainty in that yeah. song about the future. Shall I rewrite or revise my October symphony? And as I say, in my life at the time, I was in a very uncertain place. Yeah. So I was... My friends were still with me, my friends being the Pet Shop Boys, because I didn't have any other actual friends. <laughs> I was a very quiet child. The stuffed cushion with school. the face of Neil Tennant yes, on it, the stuffed cushion with the face of Chris exactly. on it. So, but, they were, but they were my friends through what was a very uncertain time for yeah. me. You know, new school, things at home were not great. You know, my dad was very ill and I didn't know what the future held. I didn't know who my friends were going to be or what shape my life was going to take. So... Having Neil and Chris with me, articulating all this uncertainty, though obviously I, <laughs> the fact that I could still emotionally relate to these songs, even though the protagonists were a far cry <laughs> from being an 11-year-old quiet brown girl in Tropshire, <laughs> is a great testament to, to kind of the beauty of this album, I think. What's fascinating here is we're talking about this because people do this. They talk about the lyrics because we can talk about words. Stories we can talk about mm. is what one of the, the curses of journalism. The reason you can relate to it is because of the music. Yeah. Is even if you don't understand or relate to or register what the lyrics are about, you'll pick up the occasional phrase. Mm-hmm. Should I re- rewrite or mm. revise? Yeah. And then the moment you're lost by the next load of words... The music will soar underneath it and hold you up until the next phrase that comes along that you relate to. And as a kid, you'll then say, oh, whatever this song is, whether it's this one or Ashes to Ashes or something, Mm. something, it'll be nonsense to you. 
but you'll still feel the feelings. Oh, yeah. I've always been a very music first person. I don't know if that marks me out as being a halfwit, but I've always always, um, noticed the music before I've noticed the lyric. And, you know, for ages, someone will say, how can you like that song? It's so depressing. They're singing about X, Y, Z. I'm like, oh, are they? And it's, again, a misunderstanding of how lyrics work. Mm. Lyrics are part of the story. The music is the other part of the story. Mm -hmm. That's why a lyric book will not tell you what the song was about. They don't work separately. And very often the story is being told by both at once. And when you lose one or the other, when, when the music loses you, you might tune into the lyric. Yeah. Or when the lyric loses you, especially as a kid, because you don't know what the songs are about. Maybe they're about sex and you haven't had sex yet. Yeah, Maybe they're yeah, about yeah. Uh, loss of a parent. And you haven't lost a parent. Mm. God's sake, what on earth does slipping through my fingers by ABBA mean to a nine-year-old? <laughs> right. But you will then grow into these it songs. It means something. You know it means something. Because there's the music underneath it. And the yeah. and not just the music, but the tone of voice of the singer. Yeah. She sounds sad. He sounds sad. That's so interesting. You project yourself so, into it. That's so true. So I do picture books as part of my job. And I'm an illustrator and a writer. And that's kind of similar. Yeah. Now I think about it. You kind of need both of them. You need the image and you need the words. And, you know, in isolation, neither will work. That works really nicely with the idea of the Pet Shop Boys because it's a two-person group. Mm. And it is like an illustrator and a scriptwriter and a comic or something. Mm. It's a two-person. It's a, it's a collaboration between two people who are friends. It's not the friendship that you see in Wham, mm. where one of the guys does all the work and the other guy is just mm-hmm. there to be his best mate because it's lovely. Mm. Um, this is definitely two people who are equally shouldering a burden of telling these stories. And you're, as a kid, responding to both parts of what they're doing. And when one of the guys is telling you a story, you're listening to them. Mm. And when the other guy starts telling the story through the synthesizers mm-hmm. or the arrangement of the chords or where it falls, you listen to them. They're they're working together to tell you a story. Your friends are working together Absolutely. to tell you Absolutely. And, you know, it's a thing that I say about picture books, which I know I just said again, but it's made me think of another thing, which is um, you've got the illustrations, you've got the words. So, like, you know, you've got the music, you've got the lyrics. But, this is the big but. I want the reader, if a reader's looking at my picture book, I want them to come to the party too. And the, oh, right. and, and the bit that connects the word and the image, I have no control over. I can make the words and the images. Reader builds the bridge and puts them together. And maybe that's what happens with good songs. Maybe that's what yeah. ha- happens with the Pet Shop Boys is that I'll hear the music and hear the lyrics and then I bring my own, that bridge that we make, we kind of complete the triangle and you know we kind of bring our but also maybe that's too simplistic because i also i know that neil and chris there'll be crossover you know neil will be involved musically oh yeah they're not even doing one job and the other yeah but there's a collaboration there but there is a third person in it and it's you yeah yeah exactly this is what you're talking about when you talk about the music changing over time Mm -hmm. because you've got a cd there of Mm -hmm. behavior in front of you and it hasn't changed since it came out they might have remastered it, possibly, but it's <laughs> yeah. the same as it was. So yes. when you say it's changed, it hasn't changed. The only thing that can possibly have changed is you. Yeah, I know. Over time. Yeah. So you're right in saying there's a third person involved. Because when you first heard it when you were mm. however you, 12 or whatever, however old you would have been, you would have been adding different ingredients mm-hmm. as that third thing. As the third member, you were playing a different instrument. But they've stayed, they've stayed constant. They've stayed the same. And that's what's comforting. Yeah. If we're going to, you know, talk about what this is and why they are my comfort blanket, they are steadfast. They are there. They are, I can rely on them. They were there for me, specifically with behavior was, you know, I hadn't really thought about it until we chatted about focusing on this album. It was a really strange time in my life. Very scary, very uncertain. I was very vulnerable. 
And this was so important to me. They were so important to me that they were still there. And, you know, by the time Very had come along, I was older and yeah. it was all part life <laughs> and yeah. all the rest of it. And I didn't need them as much. So I didn't, I kind of was like, okay, whatever. And we, we lost touch for a few years. I think that's safe to say. But I never forgot them completely. They were always there, even if I was secretly buying Hello Space Boy and hiding it yeah. amongst my <laughs> other records. And now I'm older and I've come back to them and, you know, I find much to enjoy in, in everything they put out. But it's immensely comforting to me that they have been in my life for this period of time and that the relationship, in my mind at least, has been so intimate. It's really been intimate because they are singing about such a emotional things and they really get in there it's amazing that you're talking about them singing about emotional things but you've said when you first heard these songs you often didn't know what they were about no. so you were sort of lost in this uh wash of emotion and sound and maybe sort of flashes of lyric yeah. that were enough to hold on to and you held on to that and you added your little bit in mm-hmm. they're going well i'm going to fill this this is probably being probably about being lonely at school yeah, yeah you're yeah. feeling what you think it's about and then as you grow older you'll change or maybe you'll read an article and neil will say oh this is about russia so we've got this idea that, that there's two people making music mm-hmm. and there's a third person making that music with them, which is you. Yeah. As a little kid, you're filling in the gaps because <laughs> you don't understand what they're singing about. Can I just say that's like all I ever wanted? So you're in the Pet Shop Boys now. <laughs> that's literally all I ever wanted. Curveball, the- nine-year-old from Telford, joins Pet Shop Boys. <laughs> Neil at the front, Chris Byron, and someone behind Chris, waving. Waving at everyone. I used to arrange my... I had a little Casio VL tone yeah. and I had some other keyboard. I can't remember what it was. And I used to arrange that with like any electronic item in the house yeah. so like a big calculator yeah. i used to try and make a keyboard bank that's what you need yeah. in my room so that i could kind of be chris so this is your dream come true Yay. you're in the pet shop boys but basically you are in the pet shop boys because the bits of the music that are going over your head and the bits of the mm-hmm. lyrics that are going over your head you're filling in your own life your sadness or your worry yeah. or whatever you're filling it in so this music's with you and maybe you've got to this point this this album's come out it's the end of the imperial phase mm-hmm. and there's a feeling that the top tens might have dr- dried up and so yeah. this is going to be a slightly more grown up record yeah. a bit more autumnal maybe even maybe yeah. maybe it'll be autumnal and you've gone hmm and maybe you've wandered off a bit because on Wogan it wasn't quite as good as you thought not as good ah we're back again and then you've come back much much later and it stayed there for you, mm. waiting for you to come and add your parts. Yeah, well, some records are like that, aren't they? You, you, you need to be at a certain time in your life to get everything out of them. I mean, I have to say, I didn't abandon behaviour at the time. I bought it diligently and I listened to it and I did get a lot out of it. But it's interesting how much it's grown as I have grown. Really? And yeah, and also the Pet Shop Boys for me are not just friends. They were guides. They are guides. And mentors, much in the same way as David Bowie was. Yeah. Bowie was a huge thing for me. And, um, you know, he was he was a huge guide for me, as he was for many people. But the Pet Shop Boys were too. You need these people. You need these people. And especially if you, as I said, I've got my big brother, but like, you know, culturally, we were without a roadmap in terms yeah. of coming from an immigrant family. You're a little bit like... Right, I need to really get my bearings on this right. planet and in this country and get the language and understand everything. So pop music very much raised me, you know. Yeah. Smash It's raised me. Top of the Pops raised me. I'm fine with that. <laughs> <laughs> These are the people that this gave me guideposts, like read this, especially the Patchwork Boys, read this. These are great artists. This is interesting. This is an interesting period of history. 
I've learned so much from them. And they're like big, clever brothers. I mean, that's one of the things that's unique about the Pet Shop Boys. Mm. When they started, Neil was 30, 31. Yeah. They're older. It's not like getting into Wham. It's not like getting no. into a boy band. They look like they know what's going on. Yeah, and they really did, I think. And I think now, as I'm 43, so I don't know exactly, but I reckon I'm about the age that Neil and Chris were when they made Behaviour, I think. Yeah. Which makes sense because I'm very melancholic. Um, but that's interesting because obviously now, thank God, they're still here and they're still active and they are still older than me. <laughs> So they can still act as guides. So they can still be my guides. You um, do need those people. To an extent. As you get older, you need people who've gone ahead. The number of people who sort of say, I'm just about to turn 30. I'm just about to turn 40. And they turn up on Facebook or Twitter. What's it like? And you need someone, a Sherpa, who's gone ahead and said, oh, I've been over there. It's fine. Well, I am very inspired by the fact that they still do things on their own terms. They still, they play live, but they don't embarrass themselves by any means. They do it exactly how they want to. And they haven't stopped. I remember being gutted because... They used to say, oh, we'll be too old to prance around as the Pet Shop Boys by the time we're 50. We'll just get, Chris has got this idea, we'll just audition like attractive young people to be the Pet Shop Boys for us. No! And I was like, I don't want anyone else because they won't be the same. They won't be as stern or as silly but or But also they won't be the continuity. Clever. Yeah. You want the continuity. You want to come back and visit them. And this record, this is the relationship that all of us have with the pop music of our youth. Mm. You want to go back and revisit it and find the bits of it that are different when you add the part you've got now. Yeah. The older ears. Yeah. I suppose what we're talking about is that there's, there's, there's words and there's music and there's ears. Yeah. And the, the part you're adding is a head between the headphones of that Walkman. And you listen to it now. I'm explaining this so badly. But <laughs> you do have a part in the band. And the part of the band is to be the receiver, to be the audience, to pick yeah. up the phone when they call you. Yes. And you're listening, and you're listening differently. Yeah, Because absolutely. you're older. Yeah. And you're listening to it maybe with the experience that they had, they packed into it when they wrote it. But also, also what I think is important to say is that I think the Pet Shop Boys would hate being described as a comfort blanket because <laughs> they are, and that's fine and I apologise, but because they are still, they are still searching for new, interesting, different things. They are still always trying new things and doing new things. And I hugely admire that in them. And I do find that um, inspiring. They are, I have found inspiration in, um, in, in how they do that. So I, I think they would be maybe irritated to be thought of as a comfort blanket. Well, maybe that's it. They've maintained a hideous tension. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you go, oh, good. The hideous tension's still there. Phew. They can't win. That's really relaxing. Exactly. Oh, I'm so happy to see them exactly. all Exactly. They can't win because their, their <laughs> constant search for innovation and the new and being creative and interested is part of the thing that's comforting. <laughs> ha! Screw you, Neil and Chris. You are a comfort blanket. That's brilliant. Thank you so much for bringing behaviour. Brilliant. Oh, thank you. I've loved it. Comfort Blanket was presented and produced by Joel Morris for the Cheese and Pickle family of podcasts. Find us on social media and don't forget to like and subscribe.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.